Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. You know what time it is, Paul tells us. You know. (laughs) You've got a watch. You can see the lights. You know what's going on. How it's now the moment for you to wake up. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. It's daytime. Sleep has become the new luxury experience. You would know this if you had walked across the street and tried to purchase a pillow. There's no such thing about just dashing into a store and grabbing a pillow. No, you need to measure out any number of things. You've got to think about the kind of sleep that you have, the the curvature of your back, whether you need the pillow to, to be a cooling pillow. Does it need to contour around your head? And then, of course, you've got to match it with the mattress. And if you've seen the price tag on any of these things, you would know That getting a good night's sleep is the best kind of experience you could have. I mean, think about it. How many of us have been in the market for high thread count sheets? Blackout curtains to extend the night. My personal favorite, memory foam toppers. Y'all, you sink in those things and you cannot get out. Don't get me wrong. Good sleep, as we know, is exceedingly important. Sleep is is like Sabbath. It's a, a time for us to completely surrender, to be incapacitated, and praise God for good night's rest. Think about Joseph. Yeah, that Joseph. Mary and Joseph, Joseph, who, had he not gotten a good night's sleep, might never have heard God's direction in two dreams. We know also that if you don't get good sleep, if you are sleep deprived, it results in psychotic behavior, which of course many of you all now wonder when the last time I got a good night's sleep was. So yes, sleep is key. Good sleep is so critically important. But here's the problem. I believe some of us would prefer to stay in bed. Y'all, it's time to wake up. Why? Because salvation is nearer than when we first became believers. Jesus weighs in on this, of course. We know toward the end of his public ministry how he laments how his own followers, his closest friends, couldn't remain awake while he prayed in the garden on the eve of his own death. They couldn't do it. They couldn't fight back the drowsiness to be with him. He also describes in a moment about the servant who's awaiting the return of a master. Keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, whether it's in the evening or at midnight or cock crow or dawn. For if you fall asleep or remain asleep, when he comes suddenly, it might not go well for you. 
And what I say to you is keep awake. Be vigilant. Recognize that something is demanded and expected of you, of us. It's tempting to sleep in, especially if we have a false sense of security in our faith. That is what God requires of us. Think about it, y'all. We're going to continue to stay in bed, metaphorically speaking, if we think we're done. If we think two things, either we finished what God's asked of us, or two, and worse, we never really believed it in the first place. We wonder, if our salvation is secure, then why do we need to get out of bed? It's warm. It's cozy. It's comfortable. We choose to get out of bed when we realize that a new day, a new moment, a new season is dawning. And we don't want to miss out on what's about to happen. Who among us has not awakened out of a deep sleep and been utterly confused and bewildered? We're disoriented in those moments, aren't we? And we wonder, where are we and do we have a plane to catch? Which is why I believe that it is right and important for our church to have some conversation about what it looks like on this side of a dark, dark night. We are a different church than we were five years ago. We are certainly a different church than we were 10 years ago. And of course, I can continue to roll back the clock. It's a different day and age. The world is different. You are different. I am different. A new day is dawning, however. A new season is about to begin. So let's talk about it. One of the benefits of being the kind of church that we are is that no one person makes this decision for us, and certainly not your pastor. No. Discernment is a collective process, and it's something that we need you to be a part of as we hold the two questions that we've already identified. Who is God calling us to be? What is God calling us to do? These are the questions, of course, that we ask when we wake up. When we wake up to the reality that we find ourselves in. You know, the reason why we ask these questions is because Jesus is the one who has awakened us. Because Jesus is the light that breaks into the rooms where we slumber. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. God wants us to get out of the dark and into the light. Paul zeroes in on kind of an either-or expression, one that I believe many of us are quite familiar with. Think about it. Living in two different dimensions 
can so easily tempt us into living a kind of bifurcated or Jekyll and Hyde kind of existence. We're one way in the day and we're another at night. We're one way in public, but we're another in private. We're one way at school or at work and another at home. We're one way with a device in our hands and another way when it's there on the counter away from us. Living two different lives at the same time is exhausting and soul-sickening. Which is why Paul implores us to step fully into the light. He says, let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling, and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Reveling and drunkenness, debauchery and licentiousness, quarreling and jealousy. Sounds like a fun time, doesn't it? When I was a teenager, I worked on a college student staff at a conference center. My years of working there were so rich. Work was hard. It's difficult to run a conference center, and we worked in a variety of different ways, demanding hours. But the beautiful thing about the hundred folk that made up that international community was that we developed friendships and became a family. We worked arm in arm. We, we played hard. We shared our lives together. We fell in love with one another. One year that I served on staff, it was the last night of our summer. And I remember tucking myself in in the dorm and hearing the sound of celebration on the other side of the residence hall. The college student staff, they were celebrating the end of our summer. No, it, they were not doing anything illicit. But they were allowing themselves to go from celebrating to overextending themselves in any number of ways. And my heart sunk as I listened for hours as their joy turned into sorrow and sadness and violence. In that moment in the dark, these good, good people became their very worst selves. 
They allowed themselves to drink deeply of their own desires, and it ruined all of the goodwill that they had established with each other. It was so unfortunate for such a good thing to end in such a sad way. All the good that we had done together had been shattered because of their intoxicated, wearied bodies and selves. God has called us out of darkness and into light. Living a life of life means grounding everything we do in love. And this is where Paul's argument pivots. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We put on the new clothes of Jesus when we emerge from the waters of our baptism. And that means that we put on Christ's motives, Christ's desires, and Christ's deeds. Y'all, Paul knows well that the body, our bodies, and our desires want to call the shots. Paul tells us to resist these temptations. Because love means sacrifice of what one's own wants and desires will demand of us. Love as expressed in all of the commandments and the entirety of God's story is about sacrifice. The best expression of love is love for neighbor, and that begins with recognizing that what we do and what we choose to do with our freedom affects others. This moment in the New Testament should speak to each of us For we know in our darkness and in our night and in our sin, we want to justify all of our wants and desires as okay and God-given. Paul tells us that our love for neighbor begins with obedience and love for the God who's given us light so that we don't have to live in darkness. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ as you get out of bed. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ as you emerge from the waters of baptism and make no provision for your flesh to gratify your own desires. The love that's described in Christ Jesus is a selfless love. Love is the fulfillment of the entirety of God's story, of the law, the covenant that the people of Israel had with God. Y'all, we need to wake up. And we may need a little help. And to do that, perhaps we've got to make the bed a little less comfortable. 
Once upon a time, there was a witch who lived in a deep, dark forest. She had a cozy little cottage, and as travelers would come by, she would invite them to come in to have a tasty meal, to sleep in a bed upstairs so that the next day they could rise refreshed and continue on their journey. This witch and her servant, they knew that they had power to attract and to lure. But in time, the servant girl began to see what the wicked witch was up to. For you see, the food was delicious, but it was the bed that was special. Upstairs, it was the most beautiful and decadent and delicious of places to sleep. A thick duvet, sheets that you would get lost in, comfortable. An individual would sink down into this bed and fall deep asleep. The traveler, though, would not know that the wicked witch had used dark magic on the bed so that when the individual would fall into a deep sleep, they would turn to stone. And the next morning, the witch would take the stone statuette and hide it in her collection deep in a forest cove. The servant girl, however, began to take pity on these travelers that would not know about this dark magic. And one day, when a young man was lured into the house, she crept upstairs while he ate and put sticks and stones and thistles and sand and gravel in the bed. When the young man went up and got into bed, he was immediately uncomfortable. And every time the young man turned, there was more discomfort picking out the rocks and the twigs and the briars. He didn't sleep a wink that night. He was irritable, angry, could not rest at all. A couple hours before dawn, he got up, he stamped around, he picked up his items and went downstairs to see the servant girl grinning at the door. She opened the door and the man accosted her, shaking his finger, said, you terrible, wicked servant, who does this? Who puts sticks and stones and gravel and thistles and thorns in a bed? Who does that? And he stomps out deep into the forest. Still smiling, the servant girl thought to herself, Better to experience misery in this moment than an eternity of misery and anguish. For you see, those were sticks and stones of love. Brothers and sisters, this is your wake-up call. Let us pray. God, forgive us when we want to stay in the comfort of the night. Shine light into our lives so that we might be transformed. Forgive us, we pray, for our sins 
in our unholy love for the darkness. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.